Hello, Alaska. This is Pat Race. And this is Matt Buxton. And this is a podcast about Alaska. So, uh, hey, Matt, I, I think I owe you a little bit of an apology. We we did a whole big episode on the Constitutional Convention, which I never edited <laughs> together. It's okay. You know, it took me like six months to finally listen to that Bob Bird versus John Coghill. Yeah. Uh, debate that we wanted to base it on. But, you know, I ended up writing, like, an article off of that, so uh, at least it didn't go for not. And, hey, one thing that we can say for pretty sure is that the Constitutional Convention vote has failed. We'll we'll just play, since I already cut out all the clips and stuff, let's just play a clip from that debate just so we can, like, hear how, how, like, brimstone preachery this guy is. Um, Let me just drop that in here. All right. We can't stop the world situation, even the national situation, but God has given us our little corner of the garden here in Alaska. And in this document that we're debating tonight, it says, almost in its first breath, all political power is inherent in the people. All government originates with the people, is founded upon their will only, and is instituted solely for the good of the people as a whole. I'm going to tell you, if you watched Representative Tuck today or yesterday, the way he misused the Constitution to call out the most patriotic and most intelligent representative in that hall, you will see the corruption that exists in this state right now from the left. Who can we trust anymore? The presidency? Oh, I've already spoken about the Democratic Party, but can you retrust? Can you trust the Republican Party? The military? How about the FBI? <laughs> oh, on the media? Don't even bother. How about your family doctor and institutionalized medicine? You trust them anymore? How about higher education, secondary education? I don't trust the Pope! Yeah, so this is that was from a debate that was held by the the Watchman, which is like a far right, like must read Alaska is not conservative enough kind of political blog, like kind of an evangelical political blog thing, right? Is that sort of? Yeah, that's how I describe it. Yeah. So they had this debate about whether or not there should be a constitutional convention. It was between John Coghill and Bob Byrd. It was it failed by a wider margin in this election where there was an actual campaign on both sides. Versus 2012, when there really wasn't any sort of campaign to speak of on either side. Right. So every 10 years, we get to vote on whether or not to have a constitutional convention. And this is like the first time in my memory that we've there's actually been someone advocating for it. And it, it, <laughs> it, it tanked. Well, and I think it's important, too, because, you know, the whole framing of it, and, and even I think Bob Bird talks about this in one of his later uh, debates was that, you know, the whole spark of the idea was that we're going to constitutionalize the PFD forever, right? Right. But then even he acknowledged that, you know, it's basically the foot in the door to make all these other, like, conservative changes. So the, you know, the right, you know, the, the Alaska's Constitution Privacy Clause and what it means for reproductive rights was, you know, the other prime target, uh, judicial independence in an effort to make it more conservative, you know, even public education was kind of like a thing on there. And I think, you know, we've seen it kind of across the country, right, in this last election, too, is that a lot of these efforts to fight for progressive issues or defend them are winning, right? And I would I would argue they're probably not even progressive issues at this point. They're just sort of like the majority popular issues. You know, we saw 
effort after effort to uh, outlaw abortion at the ballot box fail, uh, whether it was through passing reproductive rights amendments or whether it was defeating uh, initiatives that would have outlawed it. Um, you know, we saw like right to work legislation pass another, or, or no, sorry, <clears throat> we saw right to work legislation, which is, which is not really worker friendly, uh, repealed in a couple states. Um, I think it's like a really interesting, just sort of take on on kind of where some of these issues are because you know, it's always so hard to like tie issues like abortion to you know candidate races where you know candidates are so much more complicated. There's you know dividends that are tied up in it, etc. Uh, but here were like kind of some pretty clear like issues that the conservative, the far rights have really been banking their entire policy platform around, like failed spectacularly. Yeah. And, and it's kind of what we're seeing, you know, when we get to kind of vote directly on these issues that. Right. You know, yeah. If you put yeah. the issues on the ballot instead of the candidates, what would it look like? And, and that's kind of fascinating to me, too, is, you know, that's that's how we ended up with ranked choice voting. That's how we ended up with, you know, there's there's so many um, ballot initiatives in Alaska that have gone through because people th- we won't we won't we Alaskans won't elect the, the legislature or the governors to implement these laws, but we want them implemented. And so we'll, we have to, like, go around the process that we have muddied. <laughs> Um, yeah, so the Constitutional Convention vote, it felt like a little bit of a surprise to people, even though it was kind of polling poorly. And uh, it just felt like everyone was nervous because it was such high stakes. Like, I don't think that, you know, everyone I talked to, I was like, ah, I don't think it's going to pass. And they're like, no, you can't, you can't be thinking about it that way. Because if it does pass, it's going to be such a nightmare. And so, you know, everyone was on high alert, even though it wasn't really going anywhere. Yeah, I mean, I think there's kind of like been bad vibes around elections sort of heading into election day just because, you know, I think that like nationally, it really felt like we were sort of teetering on the edge of democracy, right? That like these really anti-democratic forces were at play. I think that, you know, I, I think that, you know, we were, when we're looking at kind of who's backing the Constitutional Convention, it sort of felt like the same kind of battle playing out a little bit there where, it, you know, it felt like kind of who we are was at, was at stake with it. And... So I think that, you know, kind of in the grander scheme of things, it, I think there was a lot of worst case scenario expectations in the elections. And obviously that kind of didn't come to pass. You talked about you talked about like issues versus candidates. You see that in our, our race in Alaska where we stopped a constitutional convention from happening. And then we elected uh, Governor Dunleavy. And then we also elected a Democrat, Mary Peltola, uh, to the House. And then we also elected... I don't think there's any way that she's not going to get elected at this point, uh, given the numbers. But it looks like Murkowski's won her seat back, and so it's such a, I don't know. What do What do yeah. you think about that? Like, why did we land where we landed? Why is it such a, um, you know, scavenger hunt of people that we've elected? I mean, I think a lot of it comes down to well, I, a I think Alaska is really a unique place <laughs> with a, uh, but you know, I I think that I think the governor really kind of saved his bacon with. You know, basically the state won the lottery, right? We had a year of a massive revenue bump that paid out a big PFD, you know, paid out a bunch of other things, uh, you know, got all the headlines about a balanced budget, you know, it looks like everything saved, right? So I think I think there's a little bit of that there that took a lot of the pressure off the governor. I think that his efforts to duck a lot of the debates also really helped him too. I think it kind of basically kept him out of the headlines more or less. Meanwhile, I think that Peltola especially has really 
you know, taken the federal uh, office that she's, you know, won through the special election. And I think has really run with it. I think she's incredibly popular on that end. And so, yeah, it's just like, I think there's a little bit of element of uh, a feeling that, like, things are okay-ish, you know, maybe. Like, at least in the very, in this very moment, things aren't, like, actively on fire. And I think that is, for whatever reason, you know, worked for every and worked for the incumbents basically 70 percent of alaskans rejected a constitutional convention but dunleavy supported it you know he was the first sitting governor to support that we can backtrack to to support a uh constitutional convention is pledged to introduce an amendment that would strip away abortion rights in alaska um has sort of uh continued to sort of talk about changing the Alaska constitution in a lot of different ways so uh, you know what? How that all plays out is going to be really interesting. It's going to. It looks like though. You know, we can kind of talk a little bit about the legislative races, but you know, it looks like he's not going to get the legislature that he needs to enact any of it, <laughs> any of this. So that's what is also interesting too, right? So Dunleavy right now is at the point where he's got an outright majority of the vote. So even he just completely avoids the question of Walker and Guerra and how they ranked each other in that entire battle. But at the same time, we've elected a legislature that is going to be the, his biggest impediment from doing, you know, any of these sort of far right things that he's promised. So it's going to be really interesting on that front. Um, you know, right now, it looks like the Democrats picked up two seats in the Alaska Senate, which puts them at nine, which puts them in very good uh, uh, range of a bipartisan coalition. There's kind of three really progressive or really moderate progressive Republicans and then a handful of other sort of moderate like don't burn the house down Republicans that I think could go in there. Moderate Republican now is a relative term. Yeah. So it, on, on the, on Dunleavy, the, the thing that's troubling to me is, well, I mean, beyond the fact that we voted for him as a state, uh, is that he skipped out on all of these debates and he, he essentially has done this in two races now where he did a very light touch in terms of public appearance and availability. I heard more, from his campaign about how they were going to answer questions than about actual questions that they answered, you know, interviews and things like that. I heard a lot of things about him missing debates, missing opportunities to engage with the public. He's very reclusive on the campaign trail uh, and in the governor's office. And I guess it troubles me that he's successful in being so because that that just means that politicians in the future are going to look at that as a model to emulate and be like, oh, okay, you just don't even have to be there to be governor. Like, and and I I think that you know it's up to the voters to to look at that and say, look, this guy's not participating. We need to get rid of him. And we didn't do that. So I'm I'm a little concerned about what that does for politics and the, for politicians and how they engage in the future. Yeah, I mean, I think the dynamics of the race might contribute to that too. I think that, you know, he had a far right person on his on his right who really wasn't running a campaign in any sort of serious nature, but also kind of was able to use that as as sort of it boxed it in as like, I'm not that conservative. So I think there was like a little bit of Mm. moderate, you know, moderate voter sort of like uh, short term memory, I I think, uh, where, you know, I think that they look at the last year or two and it and it really you know, it wasn't that bad, but I think it wasn't that bad in part because of the recall, because of the leg- you know legislators who were empowered to basically stop some of the very worst stuff. That's the thing is that like, right? Dunleavy tried to do a lot of really bad stuff and really only got away with like a very small sort of slice of that really bad stuff. And so I think Alaskans never really felt how bad it 
could have gotten. And so moving forward, I think that's going to be really interesting. I think, you know, there's at least sort of signals that he's trying, he's moderating now. I think it's kind of just, it's just, you know, it's throwing a bone to the people who want or are re- eager to chew on that bone, basically. Yeah. And, you I'm, know, I think that it's going to be really, I think, you know, the, uh, le- you know the, the good thing I think moving forward is that the legislature will continue to be, you know, some kind of roadblock to some of those things, you know, not all of those things, obviously, but um, I think that there's, you know, at least some options to continue to at least, you know, hold his feet to the fire and try to, you know, keep him, keep him at least, keep the fear of God in him a little bit, but I mean, yeah. there's a lot you can I get mean, done with executive like, order, there's a lot you can get done with sole source contracts, so you know, it's not to say that it's all, like, roses and flowers moving forward, but, I, I you know, I, I take a lot of heart in the fact that we have a legislature that is you know, filled with a lot of new faces, a lot of young faces, um, and a lot of people who seem to be truly interested in, in at least stopping the, you know, putting out the major fires that our governor starts. I, you know, I, I, I understand that viewpoint and it really bothers me. The, the idea, <laughs> well, but I, but as someone who's invested yeah, I mean, a lot of, like yeah, I've, right, I've invested a ton of time into like holding this guy accountable. And, uh, you know, I was involved in the recall effort. I've for a long time, I was, I, I was on the steering committee for a bit. I did a, put a lot of time and, and, uh, you know, just personal effort and, and sweat into this, into, into holding him accountable and moderating his approach into pushing back against things to, you know, reinstating the Alaska State Council on the Arts, things like that. And I mean, you were, it worked, the State Council of the Arts. Right, but it was a lot there. of effort. It was a lot of labor that I mm-hmm. had to do. And I'm not really eager to do that again. And I know a yeah. lot of the other people that are involved are not eager to do that again. And I... And I think that voters who are like operating on the assumption that I'm going to give a bunch of like free labor to like fight this guy for four more years, like it's well, you know, whatever me and a thousand other Alaskans who put their their hours into it. It's it's obviously not just me, but it's but there's like a a lot of people who are weary of of pushing back against Dunleavy, and so like I think if if someone voted for Dunleavy, like they've got to step up and they've got to make sure that he's not doing this bananas, you know, like $140 million cuts to the university. And like, you know, like he, and, and we saw this pattern when he was in the legislature, you reported on him in the legislature for a long time. He comes in hot, he's got big kooky ideas and then he gets shut down and then he kind of fades out and becomes irrelevant for the remainder of his time and then he comes in hot and he's got some big cookie ideas and that that was what i saw is like he'd he'd come in and try to like abolish public broadcasting or whatever and then he wouldn't get it and then he'd kind of get huffy and not really do any work for a while and so i don't know if this you know right now do we have a, a governor dunleavy who's received a mandate from the voters and is going to like rekindle his kookiest ideas or do we have a checked out governor who's going to just coast for four years and let other people run the show so i'm i'm really kind of curious what we're going to see i don't I, i'm yeah I, I don't know what you think but i mean you've sort of seen it before when he gets reelected, does he come in with some new big swings or does he or or does he did he kind of do that already in 2019 and then just now he's just sort of backseating it yeah, I, I don't know what he does next. I mean, I think it's going to be the, we'll have the budget in the fall, or you know, or not in the fall. We'll have a budget in about a month, and so we'll get to see that. 
Um, you know, he's talked about some of his hard on crime legislation that's like not really whatever. I think, you know, the biggest thing, and I wrote about this kind of, I, you know, I, I, I have a hard time with elections, if I'm being honest. I think we've talked about this a little yeah, bit. Yeah, you hate but them. Like, <laughs> I hate them. Like, it gets, to me, too, it also is like really, um, it's tough to get really invested in this stuff. I mean, I can only imagine what it's like to be a staffer or, or a person working on one of these campaigns where, like, you're putting like a ton of time into it. And, yeah. Um, and, and I think too, like, you know, we all, you know, a lot of us like know how bad this guy is, right. Or like how, you know, off the rails he can be and, and how like weirdly checked out he can be with it all. And, uh, no, he's not like fit for the job and it becomes even more frustrating too. Right. And I think that like, so that's the preface of it, but like the kind of the takeaway I had coming into election night was that, you know, the last four years, it felt like kind of a lost cause like a lot like there's a big opportunity cost to what we've just gone through which is basically like we spent the last four years of like alaska politics and the legislature basically just like fighting to make sure the very worst things that dunleavy wanted to do didn't come to pass right mm-hmm. like that was sort of that's sort of been the main driver for the last four years in alaska politics and to me like you know one of the conversations i had with um bill walker back in 2018 on the campaign trail was that like his biggest sort of regret was that he allowed the legislature to spend a bunch of money out of savings without like anything to show for it. Right. Like, and I think, you know, for him, he looked back at it and goes, you know, that $10 billion could have been, we could have just put it in the permanent fund or we could have, you know, spent it on any sort of number of infrastructure projects. We could have, you know, lowered the cost, you know, done something to lower the cost of energy for several communities. And that's the kind of stuff that like is, you know, that's that I think is what is like really, bums me out about Dunleavy and another four terms of Dunleavy is it feels like four years. No, what? Oh, four years. Yeah. Four years. And then another four years is that like, I I don't know what I I can't point to a lot of things that Dunleavy has done that have like made really turn the dial for Alaska. Right. That, you know, he's, he's paid out a big dividend one year in a way that like kind of endangers a lot of our sort of financial stability going forward. He's cut the university. He's done all these sorts of things. And, you know, I'm having a hard time really pointing to where like the investments are happening. Well, he, he did declare that Alaska was open for business. Right. Yeah. As, as America's (laughs) warehouse. Right. I mean, how much, how much of being the governor is dependent on forces that are outside of your control because a lot of what he has benefited from is you know like the pandemic stopped the recall the the war in ukraine jacked up the fuel prices and it let him pay out a you know enormous pfd right before the election you know like what are these like how much is this about him and how much is this is just sort of about global forces beyond the control of anyone right I mean, I think that's kind of the secret about Alaska politics, right? Is that it's like entirely at the whim of the global economy, right? Yeah. And I think that's that's what I love when people like start complaining about inflation. They're like, Joe Biden's causing all this inflation, and and you're like, well, you're also like a governor right now too. Why are you not responsible for the inflation? Like, why is right. it not Dunleavy's inflation I mean, in Alaska? Why, like, what have you done about poli- Alaska the, inflation? You know, yeah, like, that's why like poli- the political like fighting to me. Is, it feels so frustrating because it really does lose some of these like actual policy conversations. You know, we talk about childcare, affor- you know, accessible education, education funding, all these sort of things that would like turn the dial 
in some way right. for, like, for Alaska. It and builds like, a foundation for new things to, to come, yeah. right? You know, you need education. And it's like not at all, yeah. like, you know, Dunleavy was not at all, you know, participatory in any of those conversations, and we don't really know what his plan is at all, right? Like, his message was basically, like, everything's fine, so elect me for more years of it be everything being fine. And yeah. <laughs> I mean, when you put it that way, Matt, I'm now I want to vote for the guy. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> everything's fine. That's a great candidate. All right. So. Um, let's, uh, let, I'd, I'd be curious to know, we, one thing we talked about a lot as it was happening and, and, um, and that you followed very closely was redistricting. And I would be curious, um, what your perception is now that we've seen this election happen, what was the impact of redistricting and how did that play into things? It was massive. You know, this election was conducted with like a ton of new, ton of different like factors in it. Right. So we have open primaries we have ranked choice voting we have you know a, a third of the legislature deciding not to run for re-election they're all they're all kind of interconnected and i think they're all sort of contributed to the results we saw but you know i think that you know the underlying numbers here i i think that redistricting it was probably the biggest impact coming into election day right so you know two basically what happened you know the what has happened in the Alaska Senate so far is we saw two seats flip from Republican to Democrat. One of them was the product of uh, two Republicans in Anchorage being redistricted together. So it created an open seat in really blue country for them in Anchorage. So that was easily won by Anchorage Assemblyman Forrest Dunbar, a Democrat. And then the Republican that was, you know, one of the, the surviving Republican from that redistricting Mia Costello then went up against Representative Matt Clayman in a much more blue district, too, where uh, I think he's up by like four or five points right now. Um, so that's another flip up in Fairbanks. I think there in Fairbanks, you know, we saw uh, Representative Greyer Hopkins. He's in East Fairbanks. Uh, his seat go from like really. Uh, yeah, he had uh, like the really tough break on. I think it was like a 25 point swing towards yeah. a, a Biden or a Trump district. So he's actually he's he's. He's not doing as bad as as the numbers might suggest, but he's it's pretty much done there. Yeah, but he's he is doing surprisingly well. He's he's not yeah. likely to win unless unless for some reason all of his Repub- all of the like third place Republican votes go to him. Like maybe yeah. he can do something, but it's, yeah, exactly. But uh, but it, to his credit, he has done remarkably well considering the the amount right. that his district shifted. Right, and then so uh, so that was kind. Of, I think that was kind of. And so and the other big uh, sort of note from that is that uh, Democrat Scott Kawasaki, who is in the city of Fairbanks district, um, has also looks like he's survived. I think he just crossed over the 50 percent threshold to avoid a runoff or avoid the RCV tabulation altogether. Yeah, that's a big um, one. Like that was, uh, yeah. you know, uh, Jim, I mean, I Jim Matherly go versus Kawasaki is a that's a real decision there for Fairbanks. Yeah. Um. <laughs> so the Senate ended up looking pretty good, I think. You know, so that you have the two seats that sort of flip by redistricting. I think that Kawasaki was a hold against against redistricting. I think, so I think you know that sort of district is sort of continually uh, in every election. The it's gone a little bit more conservative, at least sort of by what you'd expect. And he held there uh, in the House. It's going to be really interesting. I think that there are uh, several seats there. I think it ha- the house kind of, to me, looks like it's going to, um, you know, the ranked choice voting in the open primary system is going to be really important there. There are a couple races in South Anchorage that like have never been con- competitive, but now you have, 
you know, a Democrat or an independent going up against sort of the establishment Republican with also a far right Republicans or in, you know a third Republican in a lot of the cases. And it, it's set up a situation where the Democrats are, you know, nearing on 50 percent. They're in 45, 46 percent of the vote. It's pretty hard um, for anybody to make up at that point. You know, there's a million different little changes in this election. And, you know, they've all kind of played together to make it for a not as bad to almost good yeah. election for uh, legislative Democrats and independents and moderate Republicans, all the, all the kind of people who make up our you know, great tradition of bipartisan majorities in the in the legislature. Yeah, all have done really well. Yeah, we uh, had a surprisingly good results. I think from our redistricting effort, despite a lot of shenanigans, and the, and that was something I think that we had had kind of agreed on. But the, you know, at the beginning of the process, during the process, there was a lot of stuff that could have changed the outcomes of this. You know, like here in Juneau, one of the initial maps had our uh, incumbents uh, from the valley and downtown mm-hmm. paired against each other with this weird little like loop in. And so, you know, what would have happened there if they'd had to run against each other and we had a new open seat? You know, you can kind of look back at these things and see how it could have been a lot worse had redistricting been a lot worse. And so I'm glad the process went the way it did. Yeah, it's interesting to watch, like, decisions made at meetings months and months ago play out because, you know, we had the whole major fight over the Anchorage Senate pairings um, that played out the way it did. You know, I think if it had gone the way that the board had originally wanted, we would have had one more Republican senator, one more Eagle River um, Republican senator. So to add to the mix. So, yeah. You know, and the other thing, too, is that, you know, up in Fairbanks, there, you know, there's a very clear moment where board chair John Binkley decides what, you know, 3,000 excess votes from the borough need to be removed, what, whether it needs to be the progressive kind of leaning votes in Goldstream Esther or the, you know, Ileson Moose Creek Salcha votes. And he decided that it was going to be the liberal votes that were removed. And that's exactly, you know, that's how we get the Guire Hopkins. Right. Um, that's exactly vote. what he needed to over, I mean, overcome it, it, his that's deficit. The whole, I mean, that's really the the one kind of kill shot that they landed. Yeah. I mean, you can kind of see the direct impact, political impact of decisions made there that were kind of suspect in the first place. To me, though, the most sort of notable thing here is that, you know, Representative or Scott Kawasaki, the de- Senate Democrat from there who is on track to win, you know, he was directly a target in the 2012 um, cycle where they tried to yeah they tried to loop his, loop him in the Kawasaki finger in, moved his sister's house into a Republican district with like oh. literally it looks like a little finger sticking out of it yeah and, and the courts didn't like that so so we've got a few races that are still up in the air um, you know ra- races like the one that Kathy Giesel is in that's essentially a uh, you know, each candidate has one third of the vote, each of each of three <laughs> candidates. Really and that's going to be left to those second place votes. And so let's see what um, ranked choice voting produces from those races. So there's a few of those that are going to really, you know, we're going to have to wait another week or so to, to figure mm-hmm. that out. Um, I think the there's tw- a four way 20... race out in the Matsu or yeah. uh, Republican Jesse. It's four Republicans. Jesse Sumner, I think, is about a third of the vote, and then the rest is sort of split pretty evenly around the remaining three, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, that would look like it's good for him, but who knows, right? Like, it could all consolidate around his opponent. Um, there are those South Anchorage races where you have two Republicans with, like, a combined 50% of the vote to the Democrats, 45% of the vote. You know, does it neatly consolidate or does it not? And... 
you know, these are all like really interesting questions moving forward. I think though, to me, the big takeaway is that I think that ranked choice voting survives, right? Because I think that was also yeah. a big thing, that big question in this one is, you know, if conservatives, uh, you know, won both chambers, I think that repealing ranked choice voting would have been pretty tied to the priority list there. Um, but I think now, you know, save for, you know, a last minute shenanigans on the House floor or Senate floor at the end of session, I think ranked choice voting and the open primary system stays because you know I think a lot of these a lot of these a lot of these legislators, especially the moderate Republicans, have uh, this system to thank for you know their election. And I think you know it's interesting. There's some polling that came out from Alaskans for Better Elections. It's the group that you know is kind of defending and explaining ranked choice voting. Um, you know they had some polling that said you know 90% got some information. You know, expert. You know, vast majority found it simple. It was interesting. Is that like sixty or seventy percent? I think said that they it made the races more competitive, which I think is really interesting because yeah, you know, in so many of these races before, it was just like a foregone conclusion that whoever won the Republican or the Democratic primary uh, would go on to win the race. And so here, you know, there's a lot of races that I think are, you know, going to be competitive, or or, or 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 decided at least by the entire district, right? So you have you know, one of the other big surprises, I think, and maybe not to people who are down there, but uh, is, you know, Republican Dunleavy mastermind, right, Tuckerman Babcock uh, was running for Senate in Kenai. looked like he was going to, every, I think everyone kind of just assumed that this guy was going to get in there, was going to try to, you know, organize a super pro Dunleavy Senate majority. It was going to be all, you know, it's going to just be Republican land. And then... <laughs> Then he lost. You know, he's he's down like forty-one to forty-six against um, Republican well, yeah. Jesse Borkman, who's a um, Anchorage or as a Kenai Borough Assemblyman, and um, you know that's a race that if it had been decided in the primary, I think would have totally gone Tuckerman's way most you know nine out of ten times. Well, and in the primary, we can look at those numbers and you can see that Tuckerman outpaced him quite a bit. And oh, right, yeah, so, exactly. Like we know that those numbers shifted quite a bit since the primary. And it, it's it's pretty impressive, and I you know that is a big race, and it was also unexpected. That was not one I expected. I don't know that area super well, um, yeah. And I kind of assumed it was a foregone conclusion. I had a really nice chat. Bjorkman reached out to me about uh, doing some animation for his campaign, and I you know because I did that little fiscal explainer video, and. Uh, I was just like too busy to take it on, but it was really nice talking to the guy and I was, I got a good sense. Uh, I was like, okay, this guy seems like a pretty straight arrow. And I think it's notable that he spoke out against Dunleavy's budget in 2019 and he's in favor of funding schools and roads and ferries and uh, essential infrastructure, which is kind of the opposite direction that the, the governor has gone. So yeah. that's really nice. <laughs> Someone I'd much rather have in there than Tuckerman Babcock. And so I was really pleasantly surprised uh that he did so well yeah i mean i think it was when i heard when i heard that um former house speaker mike chenault had cut an ad for uh bjorkman i think that like gave me a pause i was like oh this could be a little more interesting than i expected because yeah. i think that like and i think that you know this sort of election how it played out really you know goes back a little bit to what we're talking about with um the constitutional convention element um we're basically like you know we're we're seeing some of these big develop or big splits kind of of between the really far right republicans and kind of everybody else if we're being honest is like kind of coming into play and is, is sort of being borne out in these elections right and so we're kind of you know we're finding out that the the semi-closed primary system yeah 
it contributed to kind of more extreme, more partisan candidates, right? And and now we're we're having a system where we're electing several Senate Republicans uh, who are not beholden to their party, really. You know, who are kind of one despite what the sort of party officials had wanted. It's going to take a little while. I think just like when we talk about just how these elections work and, you know, moving forward, I think it's going to it's going to take some time for everybody to really adapt to how this works and how this campaigning works. But it shows that there is, you know, there's a, certainly an appetite for centrist e Republicans. And, it, you know, and we think of Kenai as being like this deep, deep crimson red place. And then it's all of a sudden it's, you know, it's electing a moderate Republican. Those closed primaries were used like a hammer by the parties that were, you know, that's how they got rid of people like John Coghill and Kathy Gasol that were, you know, too willing to work across the aisle. And like, those are some super conservative Republicans at the time, um, but they weren't conservative enough for the party. And so they, you know, exiled them in this, in this closed primary. But I, ranked choice voting aside, just getting rid of that closed primary is so good for Alaska. And it moves and like you said, it moves the actual election to the general election where people are going to participate. Yeah. And I think too, like, you know, it allows sort of these candidates who might not be the most like flashy to succeed. Right. And so Bjorkman, you know, was a good, a really good example of this where, you know, he is you know been he's his teacher he's been on the assembly for a long time there he has you know firsthand knowledge of you know what it takes to you know for local government to make schools work and you know i I, you're right and i think you know this system allowed him to to kind of break through in a way that i don't think would have been possible right i think um before and so i think you know bringing that kind of knowledge and that kind of perspective to the legislature i think is really important moving forward and i think you know hopefully more kind of quote maybe not the you know the not the most exciting candidates in the world can win these sort of things and i think that's really good i think that you know that kind of added perspective is is you know you sort of see it in a lot of places in in these races i I think that's a product of runway like we're extending the runway right like so instead of like a a relatively no-name candidate coming in and getting trounced in the primary now they can come in and get trounced in the primary but still make the top four and then have time to build name recognition up to the general election we saw that i mean mary paltola like benefited from that long runway. Jesse Bjorkman benefited from that long runway. He has all this extra time to to build name recognition, to go door knock, to meet people, to participate, and show that he's a serious candidate. So, you know, I think that's a great, that's another great aspect of this. Instead of people just, you know, being shown the door in, in August there, they get to stick around till November now. The ranked choice voting and the open primary system, I think, create for more interesting, like, discussions as far as the voter goes too right because it used to be your decision was pretty much made for you by the political parties right like it creates a situation where you get to think about these things more you know right it's no longer do does the letter next to somebody's name uh determine whether or not i'm going to vote for them i'm going to need to at least spend some time thinking about you know what their difference in policy positions are they're both republicans right so i'm going to vote for one of them but you know i might now spend some time looking at the differences. I might look at, at, you know, how they feel about education or the fairies or whatever and and have that inform my vote. And so I think, you know, moving away from a system where so much of the election was d- d- determined by the, the underlying numbers of a district and the letter next to somebody's name, now we can be in a place where 
uh, you know, there's more things to consider when voting. And I think that's like a good exercise for everybody to be going through. And that's where the power went out because it's November in Alaska. So that's the end of the episode. We'll see you next time. Bye.